Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, we continue our month-long celebration of Southwest Radio Ministries' 90th anniversary. The entire month of April, we have special programs from our radio vault, exciting announcements about the future of the ministry, and a unique opportunity will be unveiled to support the ongoing work of SWRC. Today, we'll open the radio vault and listen to former longtime host, author, and Bible teacher David Weber share his outstanding presentation on Satan's 12 Apostates. Our next Clarity to the Chaos Conference is just a few days away, Saturday and Sunday, April 15th and 16th in Fort Wayne, Indiana at The Cross Church. Greg Patton, Micah Van Huss, Josh Davis, Larry Stamm, Lonnie Shipman, and Ken Copley will all be presenting how you and I can have clarity in the midst of all the chaos. Visit the events page of our website, swrc.com, for complete speaker lineup and schedule. swrc.com and click on events. And to all of our new listeners, hello! I want to encourage all of our new listeners to request your free new listener pack. The new listener pack includes the latest issue of our Prophetic Observer newsletter and a free gift. Request your free new listener pack when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Southwest Radio Ministries was founded in April 1933 by Dr. E.F. Weber. He led the ministry until he was taken home to be with the Lord in 1959. David Weber, Dr. Weber's son, and Noah Hutchings, who had joined the ministry in 1951, continued the radio broadcast. Southwest Radio Church subsequently grew from a regional ministry to an international Christian organization heard in the United States daily from coast to coast. Here's David Weber from 1987 sharing his insight on Satan's 12 apostates. Radio friends, God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. I'm glad to greet you with that familiar word. We begin on a new subject and a new book, Satan's Twelve Apostates. These careful Bible studies were prepared by our good friend and trustee, Dr. Lubert Hargrove. I believe you will find them of great interest. Shall we join together in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, as we plead the precious blood of Jesus as a covering for all our sin, as the only full and sufficient sacrifice for sins born of Adam, we know that God has set forth a new and living way by which man may approach directly to the throne of God and come boldly before His presence but by no other way. Help us then to proclaim the shedding of blood for the remission of sins as God's acceptable way to atone for sin. And God was showing to us this trail of the bloodline 
thousands of years before the coming of the anointed Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help many people to understand and to believe the gospel, to invite Jesus to come in their hearts and wash away their sins in his own precious blood shed on the cursed tree. For Jesus' sake, amen. The first apostate we will deal with today is, of course, the first murderer, Cain, the apostate of a bloodless religion. We know, according to the Bible, that Satan is the source of all evil present in our world today. Although there is a malevolent spirit within the land, God sent his only son into the world 2,000 years ago to die upon a cruel Roman cross to save all men from their sins. He was victorious in this effort over Satan in that he arose from the grave. With a nucleus of only 12 men who he called apostles, he proceeded to turn the world upside down for God with this gospel. Since Satan is a great imitator of God, then it should follow that there have been 12 special men throughout history who he called away from the truth and have been used to adversely affect our world for evil. Who were these 12 apostates? Before we can begin to identify these 12 malevolent men, we should first remind ourselves of Satan's objectives. We know according to Genesis 3.15 that God cursed the serpent for his part in the Edenic tragedy when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Creator informed the adversary that enmity would exist between him and the mysterious figure called the woman. The prophecy of Genesis 3.15 stated that someday in the future someone would come into the world called the seed of the woman and he would crush Satan's head although the heel of the Redeemer would be bruised in the process. We have seen that most Christian Bible scholars believe that this is a reference to Jesus Christ's atoning death on Calvary's cross. Logically, therefore, one of Satan's first objectives would be to destroy this woman, whoever she might be, and prevent the coming of her seed. If he could succeed in destroying the whole of mankind so that they would have to die and spend eternity in hell in the bargain, so much the better. Thus the destruction of the woman, her seed, and mankind are some of Satan's major objectives. We know how Adam and Eve broke God's commandment, God's law. The Lord told his human creation that if they ate the forbidden fruit, they would surely die and be separated from him. Because of his rebellious act, man became lost and separate from God. He came under divine condemnation of death, and his final abode was to be in a dreadful place called hell. See Romans 3.23 and Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. The Bible tells us that God is a just God. His sense of justice demanded that the moral debt of Adam and Eve had to be paid. According to God's own rules, the only way they could satisfy the obligation was for them to die and go to hell. 
By breaking God's law, they deserved no better. But we have seen that God loved Adam and Eve, and he had other plans for them and their children. He would bring his will to pass upon the earth in spite of Satan's evil machinations. We have also learned that God manifests his grace upon man, something he had not done in the case of the mutinous angels. God allowed an innocent to shed his pure blood as a substitute for the guilty blood of the transgressors. God took animals who had not sinned and slew them. The innocent shed their blood symbolically, paying the penalty for Adam and Eve's sin. Apparently it was impressed upon Adam that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin, Hebrews 9.22, with the greatest broken hearts in history. Our parents were driven from Eden and took up residence in a cursed environment. Down through the years, Adam must have pondered the consequences of his sin. Without doubt, he longed to return to the coolness and plenty of the Garden of Eden, and he dreaded what the future held. It is my understanding that the knowledge of good and evil that he now possessed included further revelation from God about what his righteous law demanded. One axiom about God's law that Adam must have learned was that the life of the flesh is the blood thereof, and I have given it unto you upon the altar for an atonement of your sins. Leviticus 17, verses 11 and 14. God's word says that because of men's sin, there must be shedding of innocent blood to have one's own sins blotted out. Just like those animals who lost their lives the day of the first sin, even so must Adam's children continue to shed blood in order to have their sins covered, for they have all inherited his evil nature. Romans 5.14, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 22 and 45. Only in that way could an atonement be made, and they escape immediate death and eternal hell. Hebrews 9.22 With this logic in mind, which apparently came from God, the ritual of blood sacrifice came into existence. It was a dirty, unpleasant thing from the beginning, and no one liked it. The point is, however, that sin is a dirty, vile thing that always ultimately leads to death. Certainly, in performing this ritual, the repentant one should keep that fact in mind. The sinner needs to remain aware of what his transgression was ultimately leading to. Sitting back behind the scene and observing all this, of course, was old Satan, the devil. He had two major goals. One, prevent the coming of the seed of woman who would bruise his head. Number two, destroy the woman as well as mankind. One way that he could effectively destroy mankind was to simply allow God's justice to run its course. If it was necessary to have blood sacrifice to atone for man's sins, then Satan could just intercede in the affairs of man and simply stop the atoning blood from flowing. If men would not make the proper blood sacrifice, 
then they would, according to God's own law, die in their sins and spend eternity in hell. The scriptures say that two sons were born to Adam and Eve. Their names were Cain and Abel. Genesis 4, the first two verses. They were the first two men other than their parents whose names were recorded in the Bible. Abel was a shepherd, but Cain was a tiller of the soil which had been cursed. Like we moderns today, they inherited their father's, Adam's human nature, and were also subject to sin. Romans 3.23 When Adam saw the sins in his son's lives, it must have broken the old patriarch's heart, realizing that he was in a measure responsible. When he saw them sin, he realized that they too must die to satisfy the statute of God's ordinances. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel chapter 18. The Bible, as well as human tradition, suggests that Adam must have spoken with his sons about the day he had sinned in Eden, and God had slaughtered the animals, shedding their blood to atone for his and their mother's sin. He must have told them that the life of the flesh is the blood thereof, and I, God, have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your sins. Leviticus 17, verses 11 and 14. The reason for making this assumption is that the account in Genesis 4 reveals that both Cain and Abel became convinced that they, like their parents before them, needed to make an atonement for their sins and did ultimately make a sacrifice. How else would they have known to make the sacrifice unless Adam, the first old sinner, had witnessed to them? Apparently, he was also the first evangelist by so instructing his sons in the proper way to find forgiveness for their transgressions. The scriptures say that Abel took of the best of his flock and made an altar and shed the animal's blood for his sin. Genesis 4, verse 4. Obviously, he was aware that God demanded that innocent blood be shed to substitute for his own guilty blood. He further knew that sin would ultimately lead to death. So it was necessary for him to have a contrite and repentant heart. As a shepherd, Abel knew every lamb in his flock and must have had love for each one of them. Perhaps not unlike the way we love our family pets today. But for his spiritual survival, Abel had to look that innocent friend in the eye as he plunged his knife into its heart. He had to listen to its helpless bleeding and feel the hot liquid warmth as its blood fell upon the ground and upon his person. No doubt, he hated it as his little friend thrashed about, the stench and its death filling his nostrils. There must have been a great guilt in Abel's heart as he realized that his error produced this awful scene. God wanted to rub man's nose in his sin to remind him that it always brings forth death. But God also wanted to show Abel that he could live, but another would have to pay the debt. Laying out there covered with blood, the animal still twitching in its death throes, 
Abel had faith that God would excuse his sin. And praise God he did. Hebrews 11, 4. Apparently, Cain observed all this bloodletting from the sidelines. The scriptures indicated that he thought the whole scene was repulsive. We can infer that Satan, now the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and the prince of the powers of this world, Ephesians 2.2, 2, by Adam's default, had returned to earth again in the heart of Cain and pursued his policy of lying to mankind. You don't need to shed that blood. The smell is terrible. It's going to get all over you. It is not really necessary to shed blood to remove sin. It's a sacrificial thought that counts anyway. So Cain turned his back upon the prescribed way and brought some of his crops to the altar. Genesis 4.3 It is so like human nature for us to think we can work our way to heaven. We believe that in this life there is no free meal. Abel's dead lamb couldn't agree more. Cain the farmer said in his sacrifice of a portion of his crop, I'm going to work my way to heaven. Shed blood is unnecessary, and I refuse to have anything to do with a bloody religion. I don't believe it. But the scriptures are very definite. Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable unto God, Genesis 4-5. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, Hebrews 9.22. Cain did not smell death as Abel had done when he laid those groceries upon the altar. What he smelled was his self-righteousness and his own satisfaction over his efforts. However, the sacrifice was not pleasing unto God, and it is apparent that the deity made this fact known to Cain. A great principle of God's love is revealed in what happened next. God merely told Cain, That's all right. Just go back and shed blood and your sacrifice will be acceptable. Genesis 4, verses 6 and 7. Then began the real spiritual battle within the heart of Cain. Will you accept God's way and salvation? Today, each one of us fight this battle, and we are no different from Cain. The Bible account reveals that Cain steadfastly refused to make the sacrifice, and resentment and hostility obviously began to build up. Satan, observing the drama unfolding before him, used this to his own ends. Remember, by now, the old dragon is really worrying about the coming of the seed of woman who will crush his head. Obviously, he didn't know when, who, or how, but he wanted to hedge all his bets. It was obvious to him that Abel was a righteous man and shepherd because he did what God commanded. Perhaps the adversary thought, Abel may be the seed of woman. Using Cain's bitterness, Satan inspired his first apostate to rise up in wrath and kill his brother in the first recorded act of human violence and murder. Genesis 4.8 Even after God pointed out to Cain 
that he knew about the whole dirty business and offered him a chance for repentance and forgiveness, Cain rejected God and his salvation and went his own way out into the world. Genesis 4, verses 8 to 16. Cain did establish a great civilization. The hallmark of that society was that to a man they rejected God and his plan for redemption. Genesis 4, verses 17 to 24. There are several reasons why Cain has earned himself a high place on the list of Satan's twelve apostates. First of all, with his violent act against his brother, he opened the book on man's violence against his own brother. Every murder, every rape, every violent act throughout human history can be traced back to Cain's rejection of God's requirement for blood sacrifice. When Cain slew Abel, he may have used his bare hands. As time passed, however, the technology to bring murder and mayhem to this planet expanded. Cain's descendants learned to work with metal, thereby bringing scientific advances to mankind. They learned that the avenues of violent acts against other men are virtually endless. In a sense, all acts of violence against other persons can be traced back to this original perpetrator. Yesterday, it was Cain's bare hands. Today, it is the terrorist bomb and the Saturday night special. Another reason that Cain deserves high marks from Satan is that ultimately, the sins of his people resulted in a great deluge wiping out the entire civilization. Except for Sodom and Gomorrah, no other people have been so judged. Because Cain did not instruct his family in God's requirements, the entire race perished, and their blood in addition to Abel's is upon his hands. Finally, I believe that one of the worst disservices that Cain did for mankind was his rejection of the ritual of blood sacrifice. He showed us how to turn our backs upon God and so great salvation. He was a prototype of every man who has defiantly snapped his fingers in God's face, claiming that blood is not necessary for an atonement. Throughout the long centuries, many men have steadfastly refused to follow God's guidelines along the narrow way to salvation. Today, Modern man thinks such a proposition as the necessity of blood sacrifice repulsive. In our enlightened position, in the closing decades of the 20th century, rebellious men declare that the blood atonement is nothing but a myth. Even large segments of the modern Christian church have become anemic in their worship. They say that salvation is a free gift which God has provided as if God is obligated to save us from our sins. You know, dear friends, Abel's blood still cries out to us from the ground. His witness to us, in spite of the devil's lie, is to by faith offer unto God a more excellent sacrifice. That more excellent sacrifice, as we know today, is Jesus Christ of Nazareth and Him crucified. Please, dear ones, Appropriate him today for yourself by faith 
and obtain His righteousness, that God may receive you. Believe the gospel and live, and inherit eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have more from David Weber on Satan's Twelve Apostates on a future Watchman on the Wall program. Today, we are excited to offer back in print for the first time in over 35 years, Dr. Lubrit Hargrove's book, Satan's Twelve Apostates. Also, David Weber's complete series on Satan's Twelve Apostates from 1987, eight messages in all on four CDs. Order the book and CD set today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. When you order both the book and CD set, we'll include David Weber's timely book, Heaven and Hell. All three items are available today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. 1144. Before we head out today, let's visit with ministry friend Larry Stamm as he shares a Messianic Minute. Shalom, friends. Larry Stamm here with the Messianic Minute, Biblical Connections Through a Jewish Lens. In Genesis 24, Abraham's servant Eliezer was commissioned to find a wife for his son Isaac. After praying God would give him success, God does, leading Eliezer to Rebekah who would in fact become Isaac's wife. In Genesis 24, 48, Eliezer declares, I bowed my head and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. The God of truth led Eliezer in the way of truth. Ultimately, the way of truth is found in Christ, who declared in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Looking for the way of truth? Trust in Jesus. For more connections, visit our website at LarryStam.org or see our Larry Stam Ministries Facebook page. I want to encourage all of our new listeners to request your free new listener pack. The new listener pack includes the latest issue of our Prophetic Observer newsletter and a free gift. Request your free new listener pack when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Our next Clarity to the Chaos Conference is just a few days away, Saturday and Sunday, April 15th and 16th in Fort Wayne, Indiana at The Cross Church. Greg Patton, Micah Van Huss, Josh Davis, Larry Stamm, Lonnie Shipman, and Ken Copley will all be presenting how you and I can have clarity in the midst of all the chaos. Visit the events page of our website, swrc.com, for complete speaker lineup and schedule. swrc.com and click on Events. Tomorrow, we head to 1998 to hear Noah Hutchings share the details of his amazing life. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. 
Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com.